0: For all my teachers and parents that are tuning into this podcast, I wanna let you know that I have a parent and a teacher community. Now, I am all about bringing awareness and support and a network system for all of you to feel like you can boss up in the D Cube journey. So, I'm here to let you know that I have memberships for my parents and for my teachers, because I truly believe that together we can change the narrative. If you're interested in joining these membership programs, I invite you to click the link in the bio. There are three levels. There is $10 a month, $15 a month, and $25 a month. Now in these communities, you get to network, you have a community of people that are In the same space with you, we're fighting for the same cause. Depending on your membership level, you get access to me with weekly live Q&A and monthly webinars. So if this is something that interests you, please be sure to click the link in the bio to apply to these communities, and I look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast. The show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. Hello and welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Boss podcast. And this is actually episode 23. So the last few episodes, if you are an avid listener, were focused on mom interviews. And I still have some more mom interviews coming your way. But I also want to weave in some things that I know I might have some teachers listening to this podcast. And, you know, really, honestly, I know that not everybody can afford to be in the membership programs or um, have, you know, be in a coaching program or do one-on-one coaching. And I respect that. We're all at different levels and where we are in our journey financially, emotionally, mentally, whatever that is, and so that is why this podcast exists. It is free content. It is getting you exposure, knowledge, resources, all of the things that Think Dyslexia's uh, mission truly is. So, this is another mini series, and this one is going to focus on dyscalculia, or some folks say dyscalculia. I say dyscalculia. Um so this is a four part mini series. Today we are only going to focus on signs and symptoms. So in my journey of researching dyscalculia, um you know, first of all I'd never really heard of it until recently. When I say recently, I mean the last few years. It it made sense when I like could put a name to it but I always knew it as like oh that's just dys- um, dyslexia but with numbers and so really delving into the signs and symptoms really looking at the types I'm like wow this is really really in depth where it could be a course within itself and I, I honestly don't think that this is researched or um, well no I, I take that back it's research I don't think it's it's uh common knowledge in teacher prep programs um, in public school, professional developments for math teachers. I mean, it, it's baffling to me knowing that I taught middle school, co-taught middle school math for four years, and this was just never discussed. It was very similar to the things we hear about dyslexia. Oh, um, they, they have poor number sense or they're just lazy. They just want to use their calculator. You know, they just they just don't memorize the facts, you know, things that were um, really putting the blame on the students. And not allowing the teachers to think more reflectively, like, hmm, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe it's my teaching. Maybe there's a learning difference, you know, whatever it is. And so in my experience and journey of researching dyscalculia, dyscalculia, um, I've just found it fascinating that I'm like, wow, You know, there are so many signs that if we catch, I'm all about early intervention. If we catch this stuff at a very early age, we can intervene with the right interventions. And also we can step outside of the box and math should not be a lecture. It's not, it's not the 1980s or 70s or 60s or whatever, where you're sitting in rows and taking notes and just wrote, 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 wrote you know, keep doing the same math problem 50 times and you'll get it. That's just not, that's not how all people learn. And we can discuss this on another episode, but there is a difference between math anxiety and true dyscalculia. Dyscalculia, I can see now I'm saying them interchangeably. So anyway, today's episode is going to focus on signs and symptoms. And so, you know, the basic definition of dyscalculia is a lack of number, sense, and understanding of making those uh, connections, very similar to reading with dyslexia, but it's, it's more pronounced with math. So I am actually reading you signs and symptoms from, I believe, various places that I found research. So the first sign and symptom comes from the Dyslexia Association. And this is, these are signs that can be found as young as preschool. Now, preschool four-year-olds, five-year-olds, we are, you know, if your child is uh, traditionally in, in a traditional school setting, not just grandma's watching, and, and maybe grandma is watching and doing a curriculum, whatever it is, but these are things that when a child enters a school, whether it's Montessori, whether it's a special, uh, not specialized, whether it's a private school, whether it's um, pre-K in in public school, whatever it is, these are signs that you can really pick up on to see i wonder if my child struggles with this so number one has trouble learning to count struggles to connect a number to an object such as having let's just say three apples to groups of things like three cakes three cars three friends if there isn't an obvious connection to you know, three apples, meaning three apples, and then maybe you show three apples and you have the number three. If they're not making that connection, that can be a sign of dyscalculia. Struggling to recognize patterns like smallest to largest or tallest to shortest. Patterns are something that we really explore very early in math education. You could have circles, triangles, squares, and ask kids as young as four years old, do you notice a pattern here? What's gonna come next? So if there's a struggle with identifying that maybe the square comes next or even not even understanding maybe what those shapes mean, that's definitely a sign as well. So to continue on with signs and symptoms from the Dyslexia Association. So this is primary school part one and there are five different signs and symptoms that the dyslexia association stated that could be potential dyscalculia having difficulty learning to recall basic numbers number facts so for example six plus four equals ten maybe they're not making that connection that you know first of all six is bigger than four and then i need to add that and that means the number is going to get bigger perhaps The child has trouble with place value. Now, place value is a really hard concept. I remember when I was teaching fourth grade um, math, I really didn't teach a lot of elementary school math. I had a co-teacher, and that was more of her area of expertise doing multi-sensory math, but we would co-teach. And I just remember my fourth graders that really struggled to understand tenths versus tens. Obviously, at the primary school age, you're probably not getting that far in advance, but understanding place value is pretty complex. So if the basics of ones and tens is not clicking, that could be an early sign of dyscalculia. Using fingers to count instead of mental math. Now this one, for me, honestly, I don't know if I agree with this um, just because, well, actually, no, I probably do. I know I struggled in math myself I don't think I have dyscalculia, but I still use my fingers, (laughs) you know, if I'm being completely honest with you, and here I am with four degrees and a doctorate, but I didn't really have a super strong math foundation myself, and I personally diagnosed myself with math anxiety, where I would just shut down, I couldn't remember, Um, maybe I forgot how to use the equation, so sometimes for me, it would just be easier to use my fingers, and that's also a sign of not having a strong number sense of perhaps place value and knowing that these are tens, these are ones, these are hundreds to really chunk. I remember when I was in my grad program when we were taking, which this is hilarious, you know, we took a math methods course and this never came up (laughs) like this never came up and it just is mind boggling to me. But anyway, I remember the teacher was was teaching us to teach children how to chunk numbers and how to. Think of things, depending on how big the number is, in tens or hundreds, and then maybe you just subtract two from the 10 or add two rather than counting in single digits. So if a child does not have a strong number sense and they're using fingers, that could be a sign that they are not making those connections to know, for example, we have five fingers on our hand. Five plus five equals 10 digits. I have 10 digits, 10 fingers. So, you know, really making those connections, Another sign and symptom is poor understanding of the actual symbols that may be confusing. So when I was co-teaching eighth grade math with my um, math teacher, we would really take some time to tell kids in the beginning of the year, like math is its own language. So obviously you all are listening to this so you can't see if I'm demonstrating this, but multiplication can can be represented as an X. It can be represented as a dot. It can be represented as parentheses. Um, it's crazy when we think about division. It can be represented with the um, typical long division quotient. You know, all of those those parts of teaching long division. I believe in about third grade. It can be represented as a fraction line it can be represented as a line with two dots you know on the top and bottom I mean math truly is it's separate a separate language and I think when we have kids that struggle to understand let's say their basic language when you add in math and then symbols and and word problems forget about it forget about it so the last sign and symptom for primary school age for dyscalculia is struggling to recognize. Uh, I believe it is the associative property. So three plus five is the same as five plus three, and that's really kind of seeing that mirror image that it's going to give you the same outcome. It's just you're moving those those numbers around. So those are five signs and symptoms at the primary school age for dyscalculia. Now let's do part two. Now, this is a lot. This is definitely a lot. But I think it's so important for us to really understand what these signs and symptoms are. So even if you're not quite sure, you know, exactly what to do, at least you can say, okay, I've heard of these Maybe I can contact the special education department or maybe I can do my own screener that I found online or maybe I can talk to the parents to see if they see signs and symptoms at home and we can game plan and really feel like we're in this together. And like I said, I know that some teachers are listening to this podcast. So I'm talking to both parent and teacher to really put our heads together because I truly believe when we work together we can really make a difference. So part two. Finding it difficult to understand math phrases like greater than and less than. So as you can hear, some of these, we are traveling through the developmental stages in school. Greater than and less than, that's about third, fourth grade. And I know I definitely struggled with like, which side is, is it right? Is that greater? Is that less than? So if that is something that's coming up, that could be, that also could be a sign having trouble keeping score in sports or games. That's not really something we typically think of. But if kids are veering away from scorekeeping, or I know for me growing up, I used to love playing Monopoly, but I did kind of struggle with the money. You know, I, I, would, I would say to myself like, okay, let me make sure I'm counting this correctly. And I would check and double check and make sure I had the right money amount. And I would always want to be the, um, I can't remember what the, title of the person playing Monopoly is who, who distributes the money. But I always wanted to be that person because I think I secretly wanted to practice my, my counting skills. But if, if your child or student is veering away from games where you have to keep score, you have to count money, that might be a sign as well. And that actually leads to the next point, having difficulty working out the total number of costs. Um, financial literacy is a life skill and so far too often we might have kids with dyscalculia undiagnosed dyscalculia that turn into teenagers and adults and they can't manage their money and that is where we get taken advantage of and so it's so important to understand not just the value of a dollar but like how much is this can you and i know today we're moving further away from coins and dollar bills and some special educators might often argue that that's a life skill we still need that but honestly we we have I know I have an Apple wallet on my iPhone so I can just scan my debit card and boom there we go but I think it is still important to teach the understanding of money because we have to pay bills you know kids turn into adults and adults need to know how to be responsible so if you're noticing that your child is not or your student is not making those money connections that could be an early sign too and then the last one uh this kind of touches on having trouble with games but may avoid situations that require understanding numbers so this is the example like i said of monopoly or the game of life Or other games that really require a lot of deep thinking and knowledge around money. Okay, and the last, the last, um, this is actually not really signs and symptoms. This is what dyscalculia impacts. So I have found these to be true with my own research. And when I say my own research, I mean interviewing people, teenagers and adults with dyscalculia. I think that humans are the best resource to get information because it's lived experiences. And then I've also looked up articles and it definitely corroborates with some of these, these um, impacts that I'm about to share. So these are things we don't think about. Dyscalculia impacts social skills. So again, going back to playing games that involve money or counting. Students that have true dyscalculia, they might avoid these games and sports, and it could cause some social anxiety or social um, issues with them because perhaps they're not aware of their learning difference and maybe they get made fun of. You know, kids can be kind of mean, mean to each other. So maybe they're getting made fun of, and, you know, so and so can't count or he doesn't know what this number says. That can cause a lot of social distress. Dyscalculia can also impact a sense of direction. So um, trouble imaging a 3D object viewed from another angle, and this can equate to driving. I actually interviewed a high school student about her dyscalculia, and she shared that she was concerned that she was going through driver's ed and wondering how that was going to be. But because she's such a strong advocate, Um, She was confident that she would see it through, but it really gave me perspective and pause to think about it. So if you think about driving, you have to be processing a lot of different directions at once. Now, if you're just driving down the street, maybe it's just putting your foot on the gas, making sure that you're watching your surroundings, making sure you know no kids are running in the middle of the street. That's easier driving. But if you are on the highway, and maybe you're in an unfamiliar place. I know for me, I'm in the DMV area. So if I'm on 495 traveling anywhere on the beltway, you have to be on high alert. You've got to look at exits. You've got to look at your speed limit. You've got to look at the distance between where people are if you want to merge over. Uh, You have to look at the, you know, there's so many different components that we don't realize that if you're if this doesn't impact your daily life and so when this young lady shared her story i i was like wow this is really impactful and it can cause anxiety if you're not comfortable with um processing all the information at once because driving, you know, when you've been driving for a while, you go on autopilot. But if you're driving, let's say you, you get plopped in a foreign country where they're driving on the other side of the road and now you have a stick shift and now you have to understand what their speed limits are. And now you need to understand what kilometers means instead of miles per hour or my, I mean, so many different things that we may not think about, but that really resonated with me. Another thing that dyscalculia impacts is time management. So um, a friend of mine who is based out of Norway, he's fantastic dyslexic and has dyscalculia. And he's um, uh, a graphic illustrator and does great work in the community and a former special educator. And he expl- I interviewed him about two years ago, and he explained that in his early stages of his dyscalculia, and trying to make accommodations for himself, he had tons of timers because he was scared that he would be late for work. So he had a timer to wake up, which is what we typically have, right? But then he'd have a timer set for how long it would take him to eat lunch because he didn't really have a concept of time. Then he would have a timer to let him know when he needed to leave to go to work. Then he'd have a timer to know when he got to work. I mean, the amount of timers he had, I think for the average person, if we're not really cognizant and aware of what that person needs we might look at it and be like man there's something wrong with them but no he actually was really brilliant because he came up with his own accommodations and realized i don't have a concept of time i don't know what five minutes feels like i don't know what it would take to get up get dressed get to work um get settled in because you know here's here's the thing when you're on time you're late <laughs> so if you're supposed to be at work at two you can't leave your house at two, you can't leave it, you know, 15 minutes prior if it takes you a half hour to get there. So I think really understand, and and this actually ties into one of the types of dyscalculia that we'll get into in the next um, mini series, but that to me was fascinating to learn as well. And then the last one I touched on before is money managing, you know, really having trouble sticking to a budget, knowing how to balance, I know it sounds so archaic to say a checkbook, but Managing your money, I should say, because I don't know how many people truly balance their checkbook unless you're in a, of an older generation. And difficulty. This is this is a big one. Difficulty calculating tip or um, exact change. And I think you know this is where I say this is where a calculator comes in. If it's not the end of the world if you can't calculate twenty percent of three hundred and twenty five off the top of your head i don't think that that's gonna hurt anybody to just whip out a calculator i myself get out a calculator all the time so anyway with all that being said this one was a longer first episode but i think it's really important to lay the groundwork as to what these signs and symptoms look like you know whether it's in in your child or in your classroom but these are things that we can't ignore we can't just sit here and say oh well they're lazy they don't know their math facts and kind of blame the kid we really need to do better and when we know better we do better so with that being said that was episode one in the four-part dyscalculia series tomorrow we well i'm sorry next next episode i should say we will be delving into the nine types Of dyscalculia. Did I say nine? I absolutely did. There are nine types. So I will see you there.